Youth culture is changing at breakneck speed, and today's youth workers need to not only keep up with the host of new challenges facing our kids, but they need to respond in ways that communicate the truths of the gospel so that our kids might embrace a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ as his disciples. Today, I pull together a group of boots-on-the-ground youth workers to help us learn more about where culture has gone over the last year, where it's headed, and how we can practically respond as we nurture kids in our churches and homes. I invite you to listen in to our helpful conversation on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, as I always say, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters, and we're coming to the end of a year, 2023, which is hard to believe. I, I look at things on the calendar. We just went and got our Christmas tree last week, and uh, by, well, by the time this drops, it'll be a couple of weeks, but I say it at least every year. It just seems like we did this yesterday, and so time is flying, and we know that those of you out there who are youth workers, you're aware of the calendar, you're thinking about the last year, looking forward to next year, and we thought it'd be fun to end the year with a conversation about youth ministry and youth culture and a look back at the last year, and there's nobody better, there, there's no group better for me to invite into a conversation like this, and some of my uh, closest youth ministry friends trusted wise people who have been in youth ministry for some time, and they all uh, serve us here at CPYU as research fellows. That's a, a new thing we started this last year, and they're busy uh, working on resources. You'll, you'll be familiar with their names from some of the things that they've written that you've used. We can talk about some of that later, but I've asked them to come in so we can have a conversation uh, just about the last year and what we can look forward to to next year. And so that said, I'm just going to look across the screen here and give everybody a minute to just say who you are. Why don't we start, since you're top left on my screen, Jason, Jason Engel, uh, just a, a word about who you are. Yes, I'm Jason Engel. I uh, serve at uh, Westwood Baptist Church in Roxborough, North Carolina, as the pastor of students and discipleship and have um, been privileged to do that for the past 17 years. Um, and um, it's an honor also to serve uh, with you, Walt, as a research fellow, and and a joy to be a part of this today. Great. Kyle. Hey, my name's Kyle Folks. I am assistant pastor at Hope Community Church in Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour northwest of Philadelphia. And I've been here for about 12 years, a little over 12 years, and uh, it's a joy to serve in our church. Uh, I oversee our student ministries as well as our worship arts ministry. So a couple different hats and it's fun to see how those mix together and, and serve our church body. Yeah. Uh, so hey, hey, joy to be here. Yeah. And Kyle, I want to ask you, how, how close are you? I didn't think of this last week when we went to get our Christmas tree, but how close are you to Lehighton? That's where we go to get our tree. Is that close to you or? Uh, not too I close. guess not. Okay. Say over an hour so probably fact, at least. Okay. The fact that you had to think about it meant you probably never heard of it. So, uh, that's well, I've what, heard of it. Yeah, uh, that's about it. <laughs> so anyway, great tree farm up there, by the way. It's our annual tradition. Uh, let's see, Tim, you're next on my screen. 
Thanks a lot. Tim McAlpine, I serve as the director of faith formation at a <clears throat> small school, Trinity Christian School here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I've uh, been here coming up on three years and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I like to consider myself more of a professional friend than anything. So yeah, and, yeah a lot and, of fun here. And big time, not surprising, big time hockey fan. I know people can't see this, but the Calgary Flames, you have just deeply in love with them. And by the way, I haven't been following hockey. I probably should because it looks to me like the Philadelphia Flyers are starting to win. Uh, again, yes, they are. Yeah, yes, but, well, John just, all right. So. so I did not do any research on this. How are the Flames doing? Uh, pretty par for the course. We like to celebrate mediocrity with this hockey club, so we're just about five hundred. Yeah, yeah. You sound like all of us. And uh, let well, let's go over to to Carrie. And by the way, Carrie, you have been introduced to mediocrity as a, pa- a Patriots fan this year, haven't you? think that's being generous don't you <laughs> yes it is <laughs> yeah oh man We're putting all of our eggs in the uh, celtics basket we'll okay. see how that <laughs> um yeah i'm carrie trenfio i'm about 20 minutes north of boston at our savior lutheran church in topsfield um been here as the director of children youth and family for the last 10 11 years great and we're glad you're here and then mike our last uh our last friend on here today yeah, my name is Mike Terry. Uh, I'm the student pastor at Parkside Church in Green, Ohio, which is Northeast Ohio. So if we're having a competition of mediocrity in sports, I think I win. So fan of the Cleveland Browns and uh, <laughs> the Cleveland Cavs and Guardians and everything in between, but mostly the Cleveland Browns. So yeah. uh, I think I win that. I think I win that battle. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's agonizing being a sports fan. I'll say nothing else because just. That the Eagles are putting me on edge, so we'll see. By the time this drops, they could be totally out of it. Who knows? Well, listen, I so so I've got some questions. I I fed you some questions prior to this, just about the last year, some of the things you've encountered, some of the things you've read. I thought it'd be fun to start uh, since Christmas is here, and you know we could ask about your favorite Christmas movie, your favorite Christmas Carol all those, but I thought I'd go down an avenue that is just near and dear to my heart about Christmas and that's Christmas treats. All right. So anything sweet, do you, I'm just curious, like, do you have any favorite Christmas treats? I know families have tradition traditions, you know, maybe in your ethnic background, uh, due to your ethnicity, there's a certain thing that you like that you could tell us about, but, um, introduce us. Maybe, maybe we all know what these things are, but go ahead and just share what your favorite is. Let's start with Carrie. Um, in the midst of a busy season already, our choir and music director bakes about, I don't know, 60 loaves of this bread with cream cheese in it and jelly. And my husband and I fight over who gets it. I usually like hide it at church for a couple of days so that I get some before I have to hand it off to him. So that's a favorite for us. Oh yeah. Cream cheese and jelly. That was one of my favorite sandwiches growing up. I'll bet some of you never even tried that. Chris, have you tried that cream cheese and jelly? Maybe on a bagel. Okay. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Okay. Uh, I'll expect package from you, Carrie. Just send it to the office here. We'll, we'll check that out. Tim, what about you in Canada? Favorite Christmas treat? Uh, yeah, my bride makes this. Well, Christmas is a for sure, but it's like this banana loaf, banana chocolate chip loaf with some sort of cream cheese icing. Okay. It's yeah, a home cream, run. Cream cheese is a common thread here. Mike? 
But you always yeah, have an interesting uh, answer. This will be good. Well, uh, it is actually one of my favorites now. It didn't used to be growing up. But if my mom listens to this and I don't say this, it'll break her heart. So I'm going to say I'm we're I'm Welsh. So that's like my mom's side is Welsh. And they have these things called Welsh cakes, which is like it's like it's like a cookie, but it's kind of cakey and has raisins in it. But it has this like really great kind of sugar coating on the top. It's actually really delicious. And it's a tradition for our family. So Welsh cakes. OK, I'm, I'm three for three here and things that sound really good. Chris, across from me. Uh, I'll go, uh, candy pecans. Like, like what you get at the zoo? <laughs> they are often sold at amusement yeah. parks, okay. if that's what you All mean right. yeah. by that. Yeah. My, my okay. mom makes some homemade ones and, uh, yeah, they're kind of like, they're, addic- sounds they're, good. they're addicting. They just, yeah. you know, they sit in a bowl and, uh, it seems like that bowl is never ending. And yet, yeah. uh, you know, I that's the problem. Man. Every time I walk by, you have to. Grab a little that handful. stuff's in front of you. Uh, Lisa hides it so well, though, these days. Kyle. Chris, follow-up question. Would that be similar to what they have at Sight & Sound for any of our central PA people? Or are those almonds? Uh, Candied nuts? It, you know what? I'm I'm not familiar with what they have at Sight & Sound. But, um, oh, yeah, often there's there's a variety of nuts uh, available. Okay. Some, yeah, sometimes almonds and yeah. walnuts. Uh, yeah. Okay. Nice. Sounds delicious. Uh, this is a uh, long, as long as I can remember my, my family, uh, I, I don't think it's from Mike Terry, but uh, Terry's uh, holiday original milk chocolate, in a chocolate orange. It's like an orange. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and you like, you like break it and it comes out in these little orange slices. And uh, it's like uh, orange flavored milk chocolate. And I just, I love them so much. So, and that's, and that, like, when you see that in the store, that's wrapped in foil? Yeah, orange okay. foil yeah, in I've a box. Seen them. Yep, yep. Okay, never tried one. I'll have to put that on the list. You should. Yeah, that's good. Jason? My wife makes these uh, cranberry blondie brownies that are just incredible. And the only time we get them is, is around Christmas time. So, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I, I have two, actually, and, and I don't know if anybody's going to like these choices. This is not going to surprise you. Uh, one is this old German thing. My, my dad was a pastor, and Lisa talks about this. When, when he was a pastor, there would be two Christmas Eve services, and we'd go to the early one then come back to the house before the late one, and my mom would have spread out on the dining room table just everything you guys were talking about and more. I mean, there were just tons of stuff. And the one thing I loved was, uh, have you heard of Stollen? S-T-O-L-L-E-N. Um, it's like a long loaf, and it's covered in powdered sugar, and it might have, um, you know, like some almond paste in it. Um, I know the paste word doesn't sound good, but almond paste and then the uh, kind of the candied fruit. Uh, which leads to my second, which you're all going to probably, you know, get upset at this, but it's fruitcake. I love fruitcake. I think it has a bad rap among people, especially among you people, because I know you're not going to like my choice, but there's just something about that, you know, thick, meaty fruitcake. And by the way, Costco has a great one. So if you, you know, is anybody with me on that? No, you know when um, you're watching Family Feud and everyone's like, "Good answer, good answer." Yeah, I said about everyone else's, and then you lost me. Well, yeah, that- yeah. 
<laughs> I just does it surprise you that I like that? I mean, I just like as a kid. See, that's the other thing. Like as a kid, when I don't know if this happens for you folks in ministry, but like the week before Christmas, you come home with armloads of stuff that people in your church have given you, and that was what was put out primarily on the table on Christmas Eve at our family. And so, yeah, it was good. All right, so I ruined the conversation with that. That's my own little preference there. Uh, but let's let's continue on. And I want to ask you all, since you know we study youth culture here at CPYU, and I know you folks have looked at a lot of different trends. That's one reason why uh, you're part of our research fellows group. I'm just curious if we could go around in no particular order here, but what youth culture issue really jumped out at you this year that um, was was front and center, perhaps not only in your ministry, but in the culture at large? And, you know, what what in particular was that? And then I'd also like to know, you know, what did you do to address that? Did you take that on in any way, uh, you know, whether it's researching things or speaking directly to students and parents about it? But what are the things that everyone else needs to be aware of? Maybe something that some of us have missed. Uh, but what was the issue for you? So anybody. Well, for us, it's not one maybe that you have missed. I'm, I'm serving in a rural uh, context. So, um, and we are really blessed here um, because many of um, folks that are serving in public education here around Roxboro and Person County are, um, are believers. Um, my, my children are in public education and, you know, I'm, I might be able to count on one hand with the three of them how many teachers, I wasn't sure where they were spiritually. Um, our um, superintendent is a solid uh, believer, uh, goes to a sister church here in town. So uh, the school systems are just wide open for us to do ministry. And we've got uh, a really good parachurch uh, organization here in um, our town that does wonderful ministry in the school. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's not surprising or it shouldn't be that, that this was the year that um, matters of sexuality and gender issues and things like that really became front and center uh, for a lot of our folks. Um, I think everybody has been aware sort of uh, of the culture at large and what's going on all around us, but we really haven't felt it uh, very much until this year. Um, and, you know, through some specific events, but also some things that are now starting to pop up in school. Um, so I really found myself having to encourage our parents um, in just reacting to different things that were happening. Um, we, you know, have been talking about these things for the last couple of years. I knew they were coming, uh, but this seems to be the year that people were personally confronted with them. And uh, so one particular resource that we found very helpful, Walt, was uh, the one that you wrote sometime back that you entitled God's Plan for Sex and Gender 10 Teaching Points for Home and Church. Um, I passed that out at one of our parent meetings, and we actually discussed this over a couple of different parent meetings. Um, we also uh, have pulled from Christopher Yuan's excellent book, um, um, Holy Sexuality, um, and our leaders have read that together. That's been very beneficial for us. Um, and so, you know, just walking them through the framework of the biblical narrative, once again, creation, fall, rescue, consummation, helping them to understand how we um, understand this uh, particular issue through the biblical framework in that way and helping them have good conversations with their kids. But uh, it, it's probably not new for, for everyone else, but it became new in a sense for us this year as it confronted us personally. 
Yeah, what I like about what you did there, Jason, was you know saying it hasn't really hit us yet. It's starting to mm-hmm. pop up a bit in our schools and and in our rural culture. Uh, but taking on that, you know, we always talk here. I mean, people who listen to the podcast know this about the when there's a cultural issue, we want to have the prophetic influence, the preventive influence, the redemptive influence, the prophetic being speaking God's word to the realities that exist, and the preventive being, you know, what steps can we take to prepare our kids, to prepare our families to right. face these issues? Because all too often we don't address them and we wait till they're here. And now it's like scramble and say, oh, my goodness, what do we do? And now you're moving into the redemptive and you're you're cleaning up messes that could have been, I, I truly be, believe, prevented by, by equipping kids and equipping families with the truth. So uh, parents have, have the parents received that well? Yes, they're very open to anything that we point to. And, and I think it's very beneficial for parents to get together. And one of the things that I've tried to do is not only teach from the front, so to speak, but then put parents in conversation together and um, urge them to pray with one another and open up with each other and share these things that they're facing, struggles that they're facing. Um, And I think that's been beneficial for them too. I want them to know that they're not alone. And I think that's one of the things that happens to parents in our culture, especially as they feel very isolated, especially in situations that they're just not familiar with or that cause some anxiety. So it's it's a both and. It's it's pouring into them, you know, helping them to understand where they can go for truth and uh, how to cultivate good tools to, to be able to use with their kids and thinking through these issues and how to respond. But it's also putting them in conversation uh, together and um, helping them to to encourage one another and and continue to point each other to the truth as well. Yeah, that's good. I, now, I know that, you know, what you just mentioned there matters of sexuality and gender. They're probably right at the top of the list for everybody on this call. I mean, certainly here, I've said to folks, probably 60 to 70 percent of my reading over the last couple of years in my research has been you know, how does the gospel speak to that or what's happening in the culture? So that's there. I, I'm i just wondering, any, anybody else want to chime in on that particular issue? Was that at, t- at the top of your list? Uh, yeah, definitely for us as, as a school. Um, and what we actually, I mean, as far as resources go, uh, I think uh, Truman's book, Strange New World, is one that I've um, recommended for our our parents. Uh, Jason, what was the title of that uh, blog that you guys, Wallace Resource? Uh, yeah, it's uh, called God's Plan for Sex and Gender. Um, and it's on the CPYU website under the helpful handout tab, I believe. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I mean, we're always looking for resources uh, that are quick and helpful. Um, the other the other one, more recently reading uh, What With You, the cohort is Rosario Butterfield's uh, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Um, I think, and so um, what we have found helpful, how like we have addressed it um, in some capacity. We have a class called Confronting Cultures, uh, taught by um, uh, B or Victoria. She's kind of my female counterpart. Uh, just presents. Uh, they talk about the cultural issues and then presents a biblical worldview. Um, and Tim, let me, pretty, let me let me let me interrupt you on that. And just ask. So when V does that, just so people know, what age is she speaking to there? Uh, grade grade eight and nine. Okay. Or eight eighth and ninth grade, as you might say. We can, grade eight and nine. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. So and and she does a really good job of kind of guiding that conversation. So one of the things that we actually found this year was um, 
because our school is K to nine, um, we've we've done two things. Uh, one is we actually um, so with confronting cultures this year, I actually encourage V to not present uh, gender, sex, and sexuality as an option for the kids to discuss. And the reason being, uh, what we're finding is um, when we give less attention to a cultural issue, and then and then in turn elevate and champion truth and, and try to increase biblical literacy and try to talk more about the character and nature of God, uh, we've actually found this year to, it's, it's far less of an issue than it was in the last two years where we were talking about it all the time. And a, one student would mention it and we'd have to have a class for it. And one student would mention it and we'd have to, you know, whereas this year uh, we do provide duty of care. It's not, we're not immune to it. There are students in our school that would identify within that community or that, you know, that would be their 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 struggle but so we've actually found the less attention that we give it and the more that we replace that with truth uh we're actually seeing uh less and less of it becoming an issue um it's easier to have the conversation with parents because i feel like uh with parents um i can because we're a covenant school they've signed our statement of faith it's easier for me to you know like one of the uh, paul tripp's instruments in the redeemer's hands talks about speaking truth and love and i'm able to do that i find um just a little with a little more clarity and urgency with parents than i can with students uh so we found yeah the less that we talk about it the less of an issue it is not that it's non-existent but and and some some have accused you know or, or would suggest that we've got our head in the sands that's not it we're well equipped and, and um more prepared but um and then and then the other thing that we've started to do when it comes to identity and so this is uh Walt, I sent you a link, I think, with this this guy, Jared Moore, mm-hmm. uh, a pastor, and, and he's kind of talked about um, when it coming coming from the, 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 the topic of desires and um, just this idea that, uh, like, he, he, he said this, we should only be talking about our sin when we're confessing or repenting of our sin. And it, it, for me, it was just one of these things where I'm like, even in my own life, like, I have you know, shared my story a lot, but essentially I just talk about my sin over and over and over again. And, and he, his suggestion, and, and I think he argues fair from a, from a biblical standpoint is we should be looking more to speak of specifically, like if we're, when it comes to the pulpit and then even in our own conversations. So when I'm talking with kids, I'm not talking so much about, Oh, I used to drink a lot. I'm talking more of like, here, God is restored and God is redeemed and God is reconciled. And this is who God is. And this is what he's like and, and, and shifting that conversation. So I'm communicating to the kids intentionally. My identity is found within who Christ is and his finished work, not in my sin. And, and really trying to be intentional with that. I think, um, you know, Kyle, we, we chatted about this in our cohort, but just, just really being intentional about normalizing, um, covenant marriage, God's design for gender state, like, and, and using that language, instead of speaking against what the culture is saying, we're just trying to talk about what the Bible says. And so those are a couple of things that we're doing. I've been rambling too long. Sorry. Yeah, no, I like that. That's good. And I, I, I love that approach. I'm, and I was thinking as you were talking there about, you know, sort of peeling back or pulling back on uh, addressing matters of sex and gender so much. Some of the research is coming out now on social contagions and how in people groups they spread and especially among teenagers, that when you talk about something a lot, whether it's them or someone else, you know, 
and some of these blanket statements like you know you know gen x is just or millennials or whatever you, you, we've talked about this we talk about generations they're all anxious right and so when you hear that as a kid you start to think well then i'm anxious and what that means is you're 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 sort of putting on that suit and you're living in that reality and maybe even understanding the normal stresses and strains of life as being anxiety and not really understanding how to navigate things well to the glory of God. So, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I, I know at some point we're going to talk more about that here at CPYU with some of the stuff with social contagions as I read about that. But, yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey, who else? I was just going to jump. Tim used a couple of the words that have come to mind as I've reflected on this past year. And we have some students that I don't know if there's one – Thing, I could say this impacted every student because they're all so different. Um, but I've had some that have really dealt with like making an idol of their schoolwork or of um, the sports that they are playing or the the drama that they're in, whatever it is. Um, and I do have some that have struggled with the the gender and um, you know sexual orientation and kind of all these different things. But for me, the common thread through it all has really been identity and just it's just become clear that if kids don't have and adults too, cause we do this too. I always tell them like, I'm figuring this out too. And the Lord is working this in my own life too. Um, but if, if they don't have a clear sense of who their identity or what their identity is in Christ, then it, those things are going to continue to be idols and continue to be, um, you know, issues for, for them. Um, and so just thinking through what that looks like and how to equip parents with that. Um, we've been using, uh, we did this a few years ago and we're doing it again now. Um, casket empty by, uh, the casket wow. pieces, Carol Kaminsky, um, out of, uh, Gordon Conwell in, in this area. And it's not a, um, a, a curriculum per se. It's a, you know, a book and there's some good resources on kind of all of casket focuses on the Old Testament, empty focuses on the New Testament. So we've been adapting that as um, our lessons. And I, I just, I really leaned into, and I want to prioritize our students seeing all of scripture as one great story um, that, that matters to them and to, you know, for all of us and that, that matters in their identity and in their world. And we, we say a lot to them, like, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know what scripture says about who you are, then why would you believe it? Like it's, if it's not even up in your brain yeah. <laughs> that, you know, um, so that's been big, I think for us this year is just continuing to go back to that idea and focusing in on identity and what does the world say your identity is and what does scripture say your identity is. And, and the big change for us is that, uh, or the big shift that we're trying to make with our students is that worldview that offers you an identity continually changes. And if you put your identity in like being this excellent athlete and then you break your leg, what does that say about your worth or your or who you are? But your identity in Christ and in what Scripture says about you that that doesn't change um, depending on your circumstance or on your physical or emotional or social standing. Yeah, that's so good. It makes me think. You know, one of the things we talk about with our doctoral students at Gordon Conwell 
is uh, Patty Lane has written extensively on uh, worldview and cross-cultural missionary work. I'm failing to think of the book right now. Uh, we'll we'll include it as a link in the show notes for this. Uh, I'll I'll get the I'll get the name of the book. But Patty Lane and she talks about you know like if you think about like a a glacier right or an iceberg, you only see a small part above the water, and that's what we see. Like that's that that top of that. What we see above the water is what we see with everything you've mentioned already. These different issues, right? But there's always something much deeper that's so much larger beneath the water that we don't see that really is the foundation and the root of these bigger issues that we're dealing with. And I think, you know, everything we've talked about so far, and I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about, Carrie, you hit it. It's identity is the foundational issue, right? Like, where do we find our purpose? Where do we find our being? Where do we put our roots? You know, where are we feeding ourselves? And it's interesting. I, I picked up a book off my shelf. I'll, I'll throw a book out here, and I'm, I'm not through it. I'm just in the first four or five chapters, and it's really good. And, and one of the reasons why I picked it up, it's been sitting there. It's on identity. It's on the image of God. And it was written by someone, a theologian who died back in 1990, a New Testament scholar, who actually taught with my dad, was good friends with my dad. He would spend time at our house. We would spend time at his. Uh, Philip Edgecombe Hughes. And the book is titled The True Image, The True Image, The Origin and Destiny of Man in Christ. And just in the first couple of chapters where he, he lays out, and I mean, and it's, it's thick. I mean, it's thick and rich, uh, but youth workers need to read it. We need to train ourselves with this because he talks about what does it mean to be made in the image of God, and that's so at the root of who we are and this identity issue. So... Uh, that's a resource. I'm, again, I'm not through it, uh, but I'm sure I'll be able to recommend it because I know how he writes and I know where where he's coming from. And this has been one that I'm going, man, why didn't I read this sooner, right? It's been, it's one of those books that's been on the shelf or in the to-read stack. So that's good. Um, let, let me... Let guys me get, are, yeah. Oh, sorry. I just want to say you guys are hitting on something I think is so important too. And that is, I, I, I'm afraid that so much of student ministry focus has been on flight with students. Um, what they are to flee from, you know, what they are to not do, what is, yeah. you know, what 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 sin has done to distort and twist God's uh, good creative purposes without also balancing that by upholding what God's good creative purposes are and what we get to pursue in Christ. And, you know, what I've found to be true and even something that's beginning to shape some of the small groups we're having at our church. Um, I just recently began a new a, a new group with some guys um, around my age and a little bit older intergenerational group. But one of the things I told them from the beginning was, you know, I want us to think about accountability, not just in terms of us coming and confessing all of our sin. And, you know, certainly there's room to do that here. But what if we had accountability the other way? What if we held each other accountable for the things that we're pursuing? And the idea then being that if, if, if we see the right things to pursue and we begin to pursue those things with all of our heart and begin to treasure those things, um, that ultimately is going to be the cure for our pursuit of the things that we really need to flee. And so I'm, you know, I'm thrilled to hear you guys talk about this in this way, um, that we really need to balance that more, even in conversations of gender and sexuality. Um, if all the students here is, hey, these are dangerous ideas, don't do this, or this is how you're being shaped. What if we upheld the, the, the view and the vision that God gives us in creation, and we talked more about um, the flourishing that we experience there and the goodness that's in that and the beauty that's in that, and that ultimately, um, you know, I want students pursuing that because their hearts are captivated by it, not just 
being moral and not being sucked into the ideologies that I'm that I'm warning about. So just wanted to say that I think that's so important and, and appreciate the way you guys are thinking through that. That's so that's so good. We, we do need to take a break. I want to come back and hear from Kyle and Mike then. Um, this this is great. And, and I hope the youth workers who are listening are, you know, thinking about, hey, here's something I need to read. Here's something I need to study. Here's something I need to teach. I love the way you're talking, you know, even just your last comment there, Jason, just sort of a bent or a methodology that we need to pursue. It seems like a maybe a small shift, but it's a big shift in terms of, you know, the trajectory and where, where we're sending kids and where we're sending families. So, all right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back, and we'll continue to talk about what we've seen over the course of the last year and some of the great resources that have been helpful to us in youth ministry. Stay with us. Youth workers, we're thrilled to announce that registration is now open for our second annual Northeast Youth Ministry Summit to be held from March 4 to 7, 2024 in beautiful Ligonier, Pennsylvania. This practical and hope-filled youth ministry training conference is co-sponsored by CPYU and our friends at Reformed Youth Ministries. Our theme this year is Cultivating Wisdom and Discernment. You will experience theologically sound youth ministry training, a great sense of community, rich times of worship, exposure to great resources, and opportunities to grow in your effectiveness at ministering to the emerging generations. Last year's first-ever Northeast Youth Ministry Summit was a great time of being equipped, connected, and encouraged. Space is limited, so you will want to register soon. You can learn more, see the schedule, meet the speakers, and register at nymsummit.org. That's nymsummit.org. Okay, Kyle, let's uh, let's hear from you and, you know, what you've seen as a youth culture issue front and center for you this last year, steps you took to address the issue, and maybe some resources that you found helpful. And I, I understand that when you don't go first, um, people might be hitting on some of the things that, that you were ready to talk about. So uh, pile it on. Don't worry about that. I, it, it'd be great to hear what you're, what you're thinking here. All right, sounds great. Yeah, we're, we are actually um... – identity looking at that here at our winter retreat coming up this year so we're, i'm I was just hearing what all the everyone else is saying so that's even helpful as i've been planning for this february but uh in our group uh specifically um we uh so like a whole year ago not this past fall last couple months but like the whole last you know fall and then into the spring uh we were struggling i, I thought uh with some relational dynamics and just relationships within our group. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think COVID plays an impact in that, especially depending on the age and uh, sort of the whiplash from that coming out. Um, we had some issues with some gossip and within our group. So I'm sure our other youth workers here have never experienced that with their students. Uh, probably just, just mine, I'm sure. Um, so we were just trying to think through and, and um, really just asking the Lord how, how we could best serve uh, our students to, to help them with uh, loneliness and having healthy friendships. Uh, I, I think we'd all agree that, that we've seen some at least degradation of that. And, and that's just a common teen culture thing over the, that spans you know, the many ages, I think, is you know, how do I make good friends? How do I have good, healthy friendships? And ultimately, that is 
you know, you know, within the church that, you know, is helping build the church, you know, help helping itself, you know, build itself up in love. So uh, as we are thinking through that and, you know, how, how can we um, cultivate just healthier relationships in our group? And, and uh, so the, the, some of the steps we took, uh, the first thing I was thinking through is, you know, how can I train my leaders? Of course, um, you know, it's not on me. It's my job as the pastor, as a shepherd to, to help the, you know, people, our, our group do that. Um, so we were, you know, how can we help our, our leaders make sure every student uh, that comes through our doors uh, with us is known and grown, uh, known in a deep and powerful way, but also, you know, grown into the, you know, rooted deeply into the depth of who God is and who God has made them to be. Um, so to start with that, training with our, our adult leaders um, and helping them think through how they can be uh, prayerful and purposeful and then presenceful. That last one's not really a real word, but I made it a real word. So um, start with adults. And then uh, next thing we did was uh, started training our student leaders, how, how they can sort of set the standard uh, for our group and then just serve our group, their peers in that way. Um, and it, it's not really a ton of rocket science, actually, but uh, we were uh, we started sort of looking at things programmatically, um, you know, how, you know, as our group gets together and sort of looking at it as, at a month at a time um, and just think through how can we be strategic with all the different elements of our gatherings together, uh, whether it be. Uh, the different types of games, uh, different styles, uh, our styles of prayer together, um, varying our length of upfront teaching uh, compared to the length of their time in small group as they're discussing and studying God's word together uh, and sort of discovering the truth uh, within that learning context. Um, so it's sort of all the different aspects of our gatherings and, and looking at, well, how, how are we helping them each student be known um, relationally, but then also grown and, and just trying to think through uh, how we can uh, do that intentionally. So it, it has seemed to be helpful, uh, just sort of going back to the drawing board a little bit and resetting and, and uh, we've, I think we're in a healthier spot now um, with our students. But uh, I do think just helping our, our young people have just good friendships, uh, hopefully based in Christ, um, and, you know, overflowing out of our, our love for him, uh, and then love for others out of that. But, so that's been something that we've, we've tried to tackle and, and look into and, and serve our group. Are, are, well. are there, uh, let me follow up and just ask you, there one or two, just a couple of specific steps you took that you thought, man, that was, you know, we would do that again, right? That worked, um, as a result of thinking through this. The reason I ask this is because, the friendship issue is one like on the, the youth ministry groups on Facebook, you know, so I, I track with some of those that that often comes up. You know, we we've talked for ages, right, about cliques in youth groups and kids who feel left out and the disenfranchised. I think that sometimes leaders, I mean, we're human, right? Uh, when if 50 students walk through the door or 20 students walk through the door, we're automatically attracted to the ones that we know the best, that we have the best relationships with, and maybe sometimes without even knowing it, we leave others, you know, sort of like, well, does does he care about me? Does she care about me? You know, do I have a place here? Are there specific things that you've done that you would pass on or recommend, just a, a step or two? 
Yeah. So I, I, I think um, a couple, a couple things that I think has been really, really fruitful uh, for us is trying to set up uh, spaces for, and it's not like we weren't doing this before, but uh, trying to set up spaces and, and times where they're interacting on a deeper level uh, as well as like the games and, you know, it's maybe it's a, a uh, on the game side, I'll, I'll do a little sidebar here. It could be, you know, something like we love dodgeball, but that's like a free for all, not super relational, super fun, but <laughs> not much depth there. Um, and so thinking through, well, maybe one night we need to have our, our games are our small group based. So there's having that fun interaction specifically with, the members of their small group uh and maybe it's you know another night we would split uh girls play in one part of the building a, a game and the boys play another part of the building for a game so just giving these different times of exposure and that's more on the fun side which is important i you know if youth groups are not fun i think you're doing something wrong but um but then on the deeper side uh thinking through um you know how, how do we help our students become comfortable uh interacting spiritually with each other so uh, one one thing that we've uh, hit hard, and this isn't really, a, I haven't like announced this to our group, but we've just sort of started weaving it through thing uh, is normalizing prayer. Uh, so when they come to our student ministries, like if we don't pray together, uh, then that's like a weird thing. Like they believe, oh, we didn't pray together. Like that's what I want them, or the same with studying God's word. We didn't really study the Bible tonight. If, if we somehow missed that, they'd be like, they'd be waving the red flag sort of. So um, one uh, a tangible thing we've done is um, uh, before we start our worship through song, uh, we just break up into, uh, it could be uh, groups of two, three, or four, and we have a specific prayer prompt. Um, we sort of follow the Acts model. We just sort of rotate through that per, you know, like every week, just sort of cycle through. And uh, either myself or our, our student worship leader will just uh, prepare a prompt, read a verse, and then in their little triads or, or small groups, they just pray out loud together. And that's just what we do. And they've seemed like they've uh, latched onto it. So yeah. we don't seem to have a problem. That's one thing you said there that I just want to affirm to people. If they're not familiar with the ACTS acronym, that's Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, correct? That's how you would mm-hmm. work that out with prayer. And I, boy, that is such a great way to undo this sense that when we pray, we're just throwing our wish list at God. Uh, We're getting things in the right order, and we're engaging in prayer in ways that we need to engage, as Jesus taught us to pray, obviously, with the Acts Acts acronym being for that as well. So that's good. Yeah. Let's go to Mike. Yeah, honestly, very similar to Kyle. Um, I mean, all the things that have been mentioned so far are pretty prevalent across a lot of student ministries. And so we deal with that stuff too. But I would say just the theme of even my just five years in student ministry, one of the uh, things I've noticed pretty quickly is the sort of atomization of not just youth culture and student culture, but um, generally, right, in in our broader Western culture and addressing that from the student perspective. And I think um define define animization give us a good good definition of that yeah um moving away from communal ties uh relational ties um with not just 
uh, peers, but also other generations and institutions mm. um, and into sort of an individualistic um, way of life and being in the world. Um, and <clears throat> obviously we can go, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this and we can get into a little bit of that, but um, that was just like the felt experience that I had of just observing the students. And, you know, part of that is just church culture, right? Some churches are good at be healthier than others in this area. Um, part of this is where you live in the United States and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But uh, I just noticed that in our student culture and in our ministry. And so really the past five years, not just this past year, um, I've, we've really trying to be intentional about teaching it, uh, programming it and cultivating it um, of toward away from the atomization and towards just what we see in scripture is maybe the acts to model of community that you see. And so, um, but I think one of the, before I get into the specifics, one of the, like maybe a couple of practical things that I've noticed, even just this past year, not just this past year, it's a couple of years, but really it, I see it growing is a small thing, but um, CCP classes, I don't know if that's kind of common in every state or that's how you guys talk about it, but college credit plus. So this college credit plus classes, if you're a junior or senior, you can start taking courses at a local, maybe um, community college or university um, or online. And so you don't even go to your school's campus. Um, and so there's obviously benefits to this. It's very practical, utilitarian in a lot of ways of getting prepared for college. Um, but I think there's also a, a deep loss in this where I talk to students. I'm like, oh, you know, who are your friends at school? It's like, well, I'm not really at school. Like, I'm not really, I'm not really there. I don't really have a group of friends. I'm kind of, you know, I go home for lunch and I, um, I start, you know, I study at, at home. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm on, I do a lot of my classes online. And so that's just like a practical thing I've, I've noticed, um, that kind of con contributes to this. And another thing, obviously is social media. I, I had the experience where I I saw a student um, make this very elaborate Instagram post for their their friend's birthday, and I asked the student later on. I asked them, "Did you see? I saw your it was your friend's birthday. Did you go hang out with them?" And they're like, "Oh no, I didn't like see them on their birthday." And I thought that was so interesting that uh, we have this sort of proxy for this connection, right? Like that's a meaningful thing to say, you know, publicly wish your friend a happy birthday on Instagram and spend a lot of time doing it but not actually going to be embodied uh, in that relationship in that way. So noticing these things throughout the years, especially this past year, seeing it grow. And um, one of the insights I think I've had over the years is that one of the reasons it's really hard for students to do relationships and community well is um, because they don't see it modeled well. Um, you're noticing that parents are often clamoring for relationships as well. Uh, they're clamoring for community and they're 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 kind of at odds of like or not at odds but at their wits end of like trying to figure out like why don't we have deep relationships in the church like you know and so i i'm realizing how sort of systemic this is within the local church and and how we can begin to be intentional about intergenerational community and relationships and um, bridging those gaps and not siloing off these ministries and so a practical thing that we've done in that sense is we're trying to get uh we have a group in our church called the prime timers which are our senior citizens and what we're doing uh is we're we're uh trying to get them back to share their testimonies and stories on certain nights where we have a big shared meal together as a student ministry 
And we're also trying to do different events with them um, throughout the year, whether it's just a fun night where we do something with them, or maybe we go serve together with them and have some of our students interacting with them in those ways. Um, and so just trying to broaden our concept of like relationships and community within the body of Christ is to not just peer to peer, but also um, uh, those intergenerational gaps. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot to this. We've done lots of different things. We've taught on it. We've done series on it. We've done retreats on this theme. We have an annual fall retreat called our friends giving retreat, where it's like, that's typically the theme is Christian friendships and relationships and what that means and how that flows from our relationship with Christ. Um, we started as something this year called our midweek, which is, um, kind of a more informal living room context where kids can go deeper in Bible study, but it's, it's really the, the environment built environment is intentionally relational in those ways. So there's a lot of ways you can program it. Kyle hit on a lot of really good ones, but the big thing I think for me is cultivating it. So one, me doing it, doing relationships well within the church, not just in student ministry, which can be hard because sometimes students can take up all of your relational capital, but, um, but then building that community within my adult leaders, um, is really important. I think in making that an environment where our friendships are visibly seen by the students. And then my student leadership team, if my students can catch a vision for Christian community, Christ centered community, and what that means and looks like in, and is lived out, then they begin to own that in the student ministry and other kids kind of catch that vision. They want more of that. And so it really is a cultivation process over time. And it is over time. I mean, it's been five years and we're, we're seeing fruit, a lot of fruit from it. Um, it's been a huge, a huge blessing to watch that process. Um, but it has not been easy and there's still frustrations and, um, and then getting parents on board and understanding that like, Hey, you're, you're modeling this in their life as well. So yeah. lots of different things. Um, but yeah, that's atomization and Christian community. Those kind of poles are something that we struggle with and wrestle with a lot here. Yeah, that's good. I like that. We, we did a podcast a couple of episodes ago on, uh, Gene Twenge's book, Generations and the, the, the basic flow of that book from, you know, cover, you know, basically saying, this is what my grandparents' generation was, you know, uh, pre-World War II, um, and my, my parents' generation, then my generation, you know, the baby boomers, so forth and so on. The move, the slide, has been from one of more civic-minded and community-based to now being completely individualistic, which, again, we say this all the time here. It's a, it's a crazy reality of living in a world where we have all these tools at our fingertips to connect. Like, we're connecting now. You know, we could not do this. 20 years ago, you know, Zoom's allowing us to connect and to record, uh, but yet we feel more alone than ever. And, you know, that's that's a huge, huge issue. And I, two things I'm thinking about here that you, as you were talking about community, Mike, I thought back to something we did intentionally four decades ago. All right, so 40 years ago, uh, I was at a church outside of Philadelphia. We saw the same thing, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And this is where generational segmentation was really starting to take off in local churches. It really took root and grew during the late 80s and the 90s, and it's a disaster now, I think, uh, and you're working to undo it. But we did a thing called, uh, on Wednesday nights, Everybody Together Night. And we all came together. Everybody brought fruit, food. We all, all the generations, we came together, and we ate together. We socialized together. And then after we did that, we broke up into our Bible study groups that were more age segmented. Maybe a choir was practicing or there was an adult Bible study or, 
you know, there was a nursery for little kids. We did Bible study with middle schoolers, Bible study with high schoolers. It, the people who were a part of that, including my own kids who were little kids and now adults, think back on that with great fondness and miss it when it's not present in their lives. So I think that's one big thing. The other thing I'm going to mention as, as I'm looking at you all here, every, every one of us on this screen is going to be at the Northeast Youth Ministry Summit in March. And one of the things about that last year that was so beautiful was that aspect of community. People said that walking away from that. And um, you know, we've got some videos we've posted of uh, some highlights of that. And the one thing that really struck me when I look, looked at those videos was the, the, the shots and the photos, you know, photos of the, the, the dining room at the conference center where everybody's around tables at round tables. And it was, it was difficult for us. It was like leading middle school kids and trying to rally them all. You know, we couldn't like move everybody from a meal to a session because nobody wanted to leave the beautiful community that happened there. And so I think that's, that's really, really good. Before we take a break, Chris, do you have anything you want to throw in? Cause you're, I mean, you're here, you're working with this stuff, maybe a, a trend that you've seen that, yeah, we I'll talk make, all the time here about this. Sure, I, artificial intelligence is one of the things that's always on my mind, and one of the areas that hasn't been brought up yet. So I'll bring it up now. That's one of my personality traits. <laughs> uh, yeah, <So. laughs> um, and um, yeah, I think that, the, and and also I'm also sort of like a wannabe geek. So this area of study just interests me in general. Um, You've succeeded at that. By thank the way. you. you I, 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 yeah, I'm just not smart enough to actually like pull it off. That's really what it comes down to. Um, but, uh, yeah, I find the advancements in artificial intelligence, uh, in the past year, it was basically just over a year ago, chat GPT really hit the scene. I think it was released, uh, to the public back, uh, November, November. Of, yeah. of, of 2022. Year ago. Um, so, you know, these things have been around. It was just sort of like in the past year since that, it's been more public, uh, you know. And so I don't know yet if it's necessarily trickled down to like impacting, you know, when I volunteer in our youth ministry in any particular way. But I think it's a subject worth thinking about. And um, we've had these discussions here at the office. Like there are there are certain, certainly like short-term practical questions we need to address, things like what does a teacher do with ChatGPT in the classroom? Oh, no, students are using it to plagiarize. or, or Like those are legit questions to have, and, and somebody needs to answer them. I like to kind of go past those questions um, and think like, well, what is artificial intelligence? Like let's think – you know, down the road, what is it going to mean when when transhumanism becomes closer to a thing? Um, what is that going to mean? What so you have to start with foundational questions like what does it mean to be human, uh, and w how will technology change what it means to be human? And, or, and obviously, and and to go back to what has been said so many times here, to get the real answer to that, we just have to base kids in scripture, and we have to as we teach creation, fall, redemption restoration we have to go back to creation for everything to find those true answers because i think the artificial intelligence questions that are really interesting and that we really need to struggle with and, and wrestle with in terms of long-term implications we need to be able to answer with a biblical foundation what it means to be human because i think the culture is going to start answering that 
in crazy different ways. And yeah, I, I'm not talking necessarily like sci-fi movie type stuff, but I think the, the like sci-fi movies that ask those kind of they they give us a glimpse into like even if they are they seem far fetched, they give us a glimpse into the right questions to think about. Like, oh, I hadn't really thought of that possibilities. Yeah, yeah. the possibilities and whether or not those are real possibilities. It, it at least gets us thinking about, oh, if those things come true, how does that affect what people are going to think about, you know, um, being a human? And yeah. and so then being able to point back to answers yeah. in Genesis is super important. Yeah. And this, you know, it's interesting you threw that on top of everything else we've talked about here, because all of this is about the groaning, right? The groaning that we read about in Romans 8, that desire for redemption, and this is where the biblical story, God's story, the arc of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, is just so helpful to teach our kids, and you said go back to creation. I'll just throw this in on artificial intelligence. I I don't have these things in front of me, but I'm going to give you a couple of links to articles that have been written by some good Christian thinkers who are asking the questions most of us don't ask. Because I know with tracking with youth workers, what I'm hearing and seeing a lot is, you know, questions like, hey, have you used artificial intelligence in your youth ministry yet? If so, how? I, and I'm seeing some answering like, oh, yeah, I had them write a talk for me or I had it write, uh, you know, chat GPT, write a Bible study for me. And, and you can get things right with that. But, man, where is your where, – how does that flow out of your passion? I want to teach out of my passion. I know all you folks on this call, it's the same thing with you. Um, I don't want some something or someone else generating what I teach all the time. These can be helpful tools. And so I don't think we're asking the right questions. And the articles I'll give you to link to, uh, I'll just say this to the youth workers who are listening, read them, wrestle with them. Uh, they're pretty they're pretty thoughtful, so you may have to wade through it a little bit, but they're also thought-provoking and asking the right questions as we look forward. So uh, yeah, that's good. All right. So, uh, well, we, yes, just go to, ahead, Tim. Just, sorry to interrupt. Just one, uh, the subscribe to table talk. Leonier's. Yeah. So November's edition was actually, uh, had a number of really, really good articles just on that. Chris, um, what you're talking about called brave new world. Yes. That's the title, but yeah, the November, 2023 edition of table talk is worthwhile. Yeah. Check out. Yeah. We can link to that, too. Yeah, and I know the one article that you're referring to is called AI Demonic, a Spiritual Exploration of AI that was uh, published in Touchstone magazine. Yeah. I'm assuming yeah. that's one of the ones that, yeah. you, that that's definitely worth a read, Yeah, asking good, good questions. If you're interested in these kinds of things, there's two magazines I would recommend, and you can check on their websites. Not everything has free access, but you could also subscribe to them. One is the magazine that Chris just mentioned called Touchstone. That tends to be... Um, the meteor, lengthier articles of the two. They both come out of the same organization, the Fellowship of St. James. These are trustworthy people theologically. Uh, so the one is Touchstone. The shorter one, which uh, goes with the subtitle uh, Sex, Science, and Society, is a magazine called Salvo, S-A-L-V-O. That comes from the Fellowship of St. James as well. And I know I've linked in blogs to several of these articles, and the two in particular that I've mentioned here are, uh, I think they're both in uh, in Touchstone. So we'll check on that. You can check the show notes. This is good. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got one last question for everybody, and we're going to try to uh, resource you a little bit. You know, readers are leaders, someone once told me, and leaders are, readers are leaders, and leaders are readers. You can say that either way. And I know all these folks here are all about um, 
you know, educating themselves and learning as much as they can. That's one of the things I appreciate about them. And the, the fruit of that comes out in our ministry to our students and their families. So we're going to come back, and I want to ask about what have you read this last year, and what can you recommend for the rest of us? I know that's a dangerous question, especially if we have a large pile of books to read, uh, but I think it's a good question. So stick with us. We'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. I want to remind everybody that everything we've mentioned here today, and we're going to mention a little more, uh, after I'm done reminding you that all of that, and it's a lot, by the way, all of that's going to be listed. Chris Wagner's taking copious notes here. He'll be listening to the recording before he posts it. And he's including links to everything on the player page for this. So you go to cpyu.org. I know you may be listening to the podcast on another platform, but if you go to cpyu.org and you scroll down under the player for this particular episode, uh, you'll find a, a list, a lengthy list of all that's been mentioned and links to those things. And so we want to, uh, that's one of our objectives here today is to give you some things that you can maybe track with over the coming couple of months as you start your year, maybe over Christmas break. Uh, you can get something delivered to you by tomorrow and you can start reading. But these are things that uh, we've all read. I, I'm waiting to hear what people are going to come up with in this, with this last question. Uh, and it's going to make my list longer. I know that. But there are things that are helpful. So we want to give you some recommendations here to add to the list Chris is putting up. And that's my last question. What did you read? Maybe What, what book did you read this last year that really impacted you in terms of taking you deeper in your ministry? And it can, you know, list no more than two. Uh, one is fine. And I also asked if any of you had read uh, any books that are not written from a Christian perspective but are helpful in ministry as well. I know I grabbed one off my shelf that I've talked about before, uh, my, my couple of books here. Um, you know, share those as well, because I, as we said, you know, all truth is God's truth, and there's some great stuff out there in terms of research that's coming, coming out right now on a lot of the issues that we spoke about, even just maybe not to help us understand the biblical truth, but the cultural reality, what is going on in the world. So who wants to go first? Jason. I'll, I'll I jump in. I can always um, count on you, Jason, to go first. You're, I love that. That's right. Um, biblical Critical Theory was a book that has just, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And in fact, I'm, I'm not all the way through it yet. I'm still working through it. I find that I back away from it and return to it. Um, but it has been so helpful. Um and I just wanted to read a couple of excerpts uh, as to why. Um, in the introduction, uh, the author Watkin writes this. He says, given a choice between two camps or positions in the culture, the Bible frequently settles for neither and presents us with something richer than both, a subtler uh, solution that neither position has the resources to imagine. Time and again, we see that the Bible's figures cut across the range of options presented to us only to find on further inspection that those options were themselves distorted and dismembered versions of biblical ideas. I, I think that this book 
Um, I don't know of a book that I think is more important to ministry over the last year um, because of that paragraph. Um, we are more and more as a culture and as a people uh, being pushed by so many influences into extreme positions. And um, I think that he hits the nail right on the head with that, um, that we we ultimately don't want to back up and say which which um, which of those extreme positions are better. We want to ask what is biblical. And I think that uh, routinely through this book, um, he's working through really the biblical narrative and helping us as Christians to be able to um, have a framework for understanding the culture around us, but not just not just choosing from a selection of options that are given to us, but truly trying to think through the biblical framework and arrive at what is true um, so that we can critique all of the philosophies and ideologies that, that pop up in culture. And uh, just a couple of pages later, actually, I'm, I'm reading both of these from the introduction, by the way. Um, <clears throat> I love this sentence um, as a vision for what I want to be true for the students that I lead and, and for the parents that I lead. Um, he says, the Bible not only encourages us to place our absolute confidence in the promises and purposes of God, but also, and at the same time, predisposes us to be unusually open and nuanced cultural critics. Um, you know, I want students to not only be able to exegete the scriptures well, I want them to be able to exegete culture well, and to be able to do those things together um, is just a beautiful vision for us to pursue. So I, I really appreciate his book and you know, all the way through, he's helping us to gain a, a, a balanced biblical view among what we see springing up in the culture. And I love that. Um, and as far as a, a non-Christian book, um, I'm always pointing people to um, books that come out in education. This is one that I read a few years back, but I found myself returning to it this, this year. Um, it's called Five Big Ideas for Effective Teaching um, by Donna Wilson and Marcus Conyers. Um, and I think that this would be an excellent book for student ministry leaders to read because they go into depth uh, concerning um, research that's taking place right now that's helping us to understand the brain better. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that we need with student ministry is a, a, a more rounded, more robust anthropology to understand who students are, just understand who people are. And this research that's taking place in education is helping us to understand how we learn um, you know, multiple intelligences that that you're not intelligent if you fit into this mold, but understanding, you know, what how, how all of us are intelligent in different ways. So we can even begin to differentiate our teaching and meet students where they're at, but also understanding things like brain plasticity and durable learning and, you know, things that we can supplement into how we teach and how we lead students um, that I think works in concert with uh, the work that only the Holy Spirit can do to help students um, understand the scriptures and, and learn it in a way that fits their learning style. So I would, I would recommend that to, to folks in student ministry leadership. Those are, those are great recommendations. And, and those are probably both I would guess both of those are books that the average youth worker would not choose to read. Uh, the first one you mentioned, Christopher Watkins book, biblical <laughs> critical theory. That's actually, that was mine. So you stole it. So thank you. I don't know if you stole that from anybody else, but I have it right here. And it's like when you look at it, I mean, it's a it's a meaty book. But like you said, it goes through the, the redemptive drama, creation, fall, redemption, restoration and finding that way. And one of the things I liked what you said there is we, we have to teach our students not just to be good exegetes of Scripture, but good exegetes of the culture. I have seen some really bad 
cultural exegesis coming out in the youth ministry world recently that's that's troubling to me. This is why our theme for our Northeast Youth Ministry Summit is cultivating wisdom and discernment, and part of that will be, um, you know, teaching youth workers how to teach in some very simple ways uh, cultural discernment, you know, cri- biblical critical thinking. So, yeah, this is going. By the way, I'll mention, I don't know if you realize, but I, th- I saw it just yesterday. I think it came out yesterday that biblical critical theory was named a Christianity Today book of the year. So a lot of traction for this, and and, uh, we had our doctoral students read it this last year, and they loved it. Thanks for stealing that from me. That was good. Okay, let's see. I'll see if anybody can steal my second book. But Who else? I got got an older book. Um, This is not surprising. I'm sure this is – is it a Puritan? It's yeah, it, no, it's uh, one of my Amish brothers. Okay, so, no, it's um, The Prayer Life by Andrew Murray. Um, and it's I've I've just been really convicted about the need, uh, and the power of prayer and how uh, sometimes I uh, neglect that in my own life as a pastor. And this book really is written for um, ministers, people in the church who are doing ministry and. Um, the necessity and really the centrality of prayer. He starts off the book by talking about actually the sin of prayerlessness, which I think is a pretty captivating and challenging idea of um, when we're neglecting prayer, we're sort of choosing independence from God and sort of um, strength in our own power. And so, um, and I think really the idea of prayer, as I've done more and more ministry and student ministry we get up to these issues that we're talking about today. You know, we're talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking about sexual identity and orientation. We're talking about atomization and uh, loneliness or all of these different things. And their techniques are good. We need to know them. All right. So Jason just talking about like, how do we teach students better and how do we understand some of these techniques? But ultimately none of this uh, happens right on our own strength or power. Um, and it really does take a movement of God um, in an expectation and an eagerness uh, for revival and renewal um, for him to move in these things. And so, and we don't have the answers. These are so complex. And I would say even, you know, I would say principalities and powers, right, at work in all of this. Uh, and so it's kind of one of those spiritual battles uh, that play out in our lives and in our ministries that we're sort of helpless against if we don't um, return to a life of prayer. And I think um, so it's especially in student ministry, it's so easy to move into the programmatic um, to f- to to kind of feel like you have to keep up with um, uh, a conveyor belt sort of like system where you're pushing students through uh, the retreats, the Bible studies, the weekly youth programming. Um, and those things are necessary and good, but if it's not infused by a culture of prayer that you're teaching and cultivating first in your own heart, but then also in your core members and your, in your leaders, um, I really, I just think it's kind of futile. Um, and so that's been a conviction for me and a, and a growth point for me, but that's a great book for anybody, uh, especially in ministry, student ministry, the prayer life by Andrew Murray. I, I like that. And you, what you just more or less confessed there, right. About, you know, in your own life, I feel that as well. And, uh, interestingly enough, Mike, I have been reading in the mornings. I pulled an old book. I have a bunch of my dad. My dad had a huge pastoral library. 
and I have tried to get into some of the books that he had, and, and uh, one of them that I pulled off and started reading a month ago is Andrew Murray's With Christ in the School of Prayer. I'm, I'm re- going through it in the mornings, and sa- same type thing, really, really, mm-hmm. really, really good. And it yeah. is it is definitely um, it's convicting, but it's also didactic. You know, it's teaching me uh, what I haven't done, so that's good, yeah. All right, next. I pulled out, Carrie. I pulled out uh, two, and I guess there was kind of a common thread this year of anxiousness and anxiety um, in like my own life, but then also in the lives of students that we saw a little bit more. Um, so, well, I actually saw that you had her, Elisa Childers, her, um, not her newest book, because there's another new one out now, but Live Your Truth and Other Lies um, was one of my favorites from this year um and even just the like sub you know heading under it of exposing popular deceptions that make us anxious exhausted and self-obsessed um that was a book that i just felt like i underlined or highlighted just about every <laughs> line that that was in there and one that i handed out to some parents too um it was a good resource for for parents um and then on the like student ministry side, Liz Edrington's uh, 31 day devotional for teenagers on anxiety. It's called um, anxiety, finding the better story, uh, which actually just won a TGC um, book award, I think yesterday or the day before. Um, but it has been an excellent resource to it, it's geared towards teenagers, but there's so much wisdom in there. And Liz um, just shares from such a relatable place for students um, that it's one that's great to get into the hands of as many students as as possible good two, two good recommendations Kyle Tim Chris sure, yeah so I I think um, I, I I jumped again and mentioned the five lies uh, of our anti-christian age Rosie Butterfield I think that one specifically there there's just so much in there that um not only did i resonate with but was convicted by and so um i think it's a timely book uh, i just appreciate her posture of humility even even just with her public repentance and and kind of the, like like that sort of um that teaching i think is is needed so uh but uh one that um i'm not all the way through but have um started reading and i think it's probably because i love to uh love to give way to fear um love to scroll on twitter and uh realize how terrible the world is and how out of control everything is and um and so uh stephen nichols wrote a book a time for confidence and uh not necessarily a <clears throat> like an overly complicated read uh but one that just reminds um you know just the truth that we we have a confidence in God, a confidence in the Bible, a confidence in Christ, a confidence in the gospel, confidence in hope kind of is the premise. And so um, just finding it uh, helpful as you, we even look back on some some history and some guys that have been there before and just a reminder of God's faithfulness of, to, to who he is. And, and for me and for our students, kind of along those lines of wanting to just um, continue to, um, yeah, exalt. Jesus and all things and, and get, get the students that God's placed 
under my care to be thinking about him far more than they think about themselves or about the world around them. And so I'm finding this book helpful for, for me personally, and hopefully uh, spills over into my ministry. Yeah, so so that's a book by Steve that I'm not familiar with, and and it's it's new this year. I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's now there we go. That's one I got to put on the put on the pile. So he is a church historian uh, in in so many ways. So did I hear you say it does reach back into the treasure chest of church history to give us? Yeah, like like the first chapter he references Martin Luther and and yeah, so I mean there's there's going to be some of that, but it really is uh, yeah. yeah. I mean I, I'm not too deep into it, but yeah, uh, whatever it is. Okay, really yeah. Martin Martin Luther. Now it's on Carrie's pile as well. All right, so uh, Kyle. Yeah, I um, I'm going to go with the uh, Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Uh, it's sort of like a celebration of discipline by Richard Foster type, uh, but a little different, but. Um, that was very helpful and, and, um, uh, I read it over like probably nine or 10 months. So I, I should probably go back and read the beginning again, but, uh, the ending to me was, uh, incredibly insightful and, um, convicting, uh, talking about church leadership and, uh, how we fail the people we shepherd when we don't. Uh, help them understand uh, what it means to um, basically just uh, understand any spiritual habits or disciplines. Like we we have everything we need to to live in godliness and, and goodness and truth and grace uh, when we spend time with the Father. But uh, when we don't teach our people how to do it, we we are just missing it. So it was very convicting, and he says it in a lot more. Uh, awesome sounding way than I just did. But, uh, so that's a, I, I thought it was a good read. And, um, I'm going to also go with practical guide to culture by John Stone street and Brett Kunkel. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a really good, um, that one's nice because it's the chapters are, there's a bunch of all the different sorts of topics from culture, but they're like, eight or 12 pages maybe each so it's it's pretty easy to to get through it um sometimes it's it's hard for me to get through really thick books i just like get lost but sounds good or you can just like open up a you know to wherever in the book and and find a topic you're looking for and and they do a really good job working through the you know the arc of of redemption as well so yeah yeah they they also there's also a teen guide which or a teen version student's guide to culture i think it's called i haven't actually read all of it but uh, that's really good. And I'm going to put a third one in there, Walt. I just started Coddling of the American Mind, okay. um, which I'm like 50 pages in, which is fascinating. So I'm not done. I, that won't, that'll be a 2024 book, I guess, probably. But uh, I'd throw that in there for the non-Christian side yeah. of things, I guess. Uh, that's an excellent book. We, re- we have our students read it. Um, I think it captures so well so much of what's happening in our culture and, and why our students are the way they are. So, yeah, they, those guys have great, great insights. Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. Uh, Chris? I will mention uh, Hope for All the Earth, Understanding the Story of the Old Testament by Mitch Chase. Uh, it's a short little book. Again, we, we talked uh, throughout the episode about, you know, uh, going back into Scripture and the whole creation story. Um, 
And so uh, helping kids understand the Old Testament is key uh, to that. And one of the things that's great about this book, I used it to like teach a Sunday school class, basically, you know, an Old Testament overview type class. Use this as the, the, the basic text. Um, it's a, one of those books that's short enough that you could actually put this into the hands of students. And um, so for those who haven't, uh, you know, they don't really understand the Old Testament that much, great resource to teach uh, uh, students uh, about yeah, that. It's just about everybody. By the way, did, did you guys have a conversation with him about yep. that book? Yes. Uh, Kyle yeah. Hoffs. We have uh, on uh, the Word and Youth Ministry podcast. Uh, yeah, M- Mitch has been on three different episodes uh, for us, but one of them focused on this book. Yep. Uh, so that was a very helpful book that I, I like I said, I used it in uh, teaching Sunday school this past year. Uh, f- in terms of a secular uh, title, um, this is a book I haven't finished yet. Um, uh, been working my way through it for the last couple months, actually. But it, it, it's by an author you have uh, mentioned in the past, Tara Isabella Burton. Yes. It's called uh, this one uh, is called Self Made: Creating Our Identities from Da Vinci to the Kardashians. Um, so when we talking about kids wrestling with the idea of identity, um, the idea of expressive individualism. This very much touches on that subject. In many ways, I would say it parallels uh, some of the Carl Truman uh, uh, books. Um, But, of course, she's coming at it from a different perspective. Her conclusions would end up being different than Truman's. Um, but 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 I say that in a good way. Like, it's helpful to see from her perspective where she thinks, you know, how this has come about from her perspective and where she thinks it's going. Of course, I said, like I said, different than different conclusions than Truman, but it's still helpful to read from that perspective. Yeah. And by the way, if you're not familiar with her, we've mentioned her before because she wrote a book a couple of years ago called Strange Rights, New Religions for a Godless World that I thought was uh, really, really good and insightful just about how our kids are kind of forming their own faith. I'll mention one last one. Um, that really was was good uh, that came out just recently is Lost in Translation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness, written by uh, someone who's not uh, a fellow believer, but I believe Miriam Grossman is uh, a devout uh, Jew and, um, and leans into her Jewish faith. But she just... She just was brave enough, um, kind of like Helen Joyce and some others, to speak up about some of the silliness and lack of reality and just the way we're thinking about matters of sexuality and gender. And she's coming at it from years of experience and working with kids who have struggled with gender dysphoria and now working with those who are getting wrapped up in rapid onset gender dysphoria, that social contagion. And it is, it's packed with statistics and uh, just good sense. So I think it's a, a good addition as we talk about matters of sexuality and gender. Well, um, this is good. Um, l- let's just say in a sentence, I want you to all in a sentence, um, give us a sense of you thinking ahead to next year. And if you are, uh, just one sentence about kind of where you hope to go with your ministry. Maybe it's a topic, maybe it's a new strategy. That's a that's a tough question, I know, but putting you all on the spot here. And the silence just speaks. I'll, I'll go, Walt. Great. Kyle. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've been uh, convicted is the right word, but um, I, uh, I, I, this, this new year, 2024, I would, uh, I long to help our students uh, not just love our youth group. I think we, a lot, we have a, I think a healthy culture and they enjoy being together at youth group, but 
uh, I want them to love our church uh, and the like the church as a whole. So Man, when they graduate, awesome. it's like, I loved youth group, which is great. I think that's like a healthy thing, but not to stop there, but to have a just a true value for the people of God. So whether they stay with us and they stay in the area or they go wherever, they're like, I, I need like I need the body of Christ. So yeah. that's a that's Kyle, a that's good. That's healthy and that's right. Yeah, healthy and right. I think in, in my context, the one of the things they just desires is to continue to to uh, partner with, support, encourage uh, the parents of our school, and just a lot of fear, a lot of discouragement and confusion. And so I think, um, yeah, my desire would just be to see parents uh, learn to acknowledge we cannot do it. We don't have enough, but uh, see that God is faithful to sustain yeah. and give grace to what we need, uh, meet every one of our needs that, 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 that Hebrews four passage would become very real in the lives of parents, myself included <laughs> in that conversation. Yeah. I've been thinking, you know, recently, uh, Julie Lowe, one of our friends here at CPYU has popped up, uh, some, some memes where, she, you know, she's got some little quotes and thoughts and, and so many of them lean into that, Tim, you know, just squelching the fears of parents and uh, trusting, trusting God's sovereignty. That doesn't remove our responsibility. I mean, that ramps it up, obviously. Uh, but, you know, trusting in God's sovereignty. There's doctrine, you know, doctrine that needs to be taught. I think for us, um, at least for the spring semester, I, I invited my our volunteer leaders not long ago to share with me, you know, what what, what do you think we ought to do um, in the spring? We have um, worked through the Book of Romans this fall, and it's been really good. And all of them, almost in concert, um, shared that they just have a desire to get their hands dirty with students just in the very practical um, application of Scripture and exactly what, you know, exegeting the, 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 the Scriptures and exegeting the culture and just to have some of those discussions together and work through some things together. So I've been thinking about that, you know, how we can kind of reshape what we're doing um, to not be less teaching, but more practical teaching and give them more times to explore things together and um, and work together to to find biblical meaning all around us. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about where that's going to go. A couple of years ago, when we were in a pastoral transition, I had the opportunity to teach confirmation. Um, and one of the things we did together uh, was just a small group of girls is that we read uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe together, and then had conversation about that. And I know there's, there's a number of people on this call and just wall in circles that you've kind of put us in contact with that have done, um, book groups before with students. And I'd love to see our students, um, read more and discuss more. So one of our goals for 2024 is a friend of, of ours and a friend of our churches, uh, Catherine Butler has put out, um, the dream, Dream Keepers Saga, and it's a trilogy um, kind of similar to um, that, like fantasy, you know, along those lines of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe kind of thing. So it's our our plan to um, read those together, have times of conversation, and then have her come in as well. So that's one thing we'd like to, to have them engage in a little bit. So good. I'm loving all of this. This is great. Mike and Chris. Yeah, um, I think off of kind of what um some of you guys were saying um kind of but especially with kyle what you were saying of loving your church 
uh, the intergenerational aspect, I think we've gotten to a point by God's grace that we have a lot of, I would say, stability in student ministry. Our team has grown. Um, we have a middle school guy now, an assistant, and we have sort of more capacity. And I think the thing I feel burdened by um, is to start bridging the gaps uh, and, the, and breaking down some silos in our church. And maybe student ministry can kind of uh, sort of be the locus of some of that. And so one of the things that we've been thinking about, I kind of mentioned earlier, is uh, interaction with our prime timer groups and kind of actually we have a meeting this week with them um, of like kind of seeing where our calendars and our events can kind of coalesce and being intentional about that, maybe hosting a worship, a student worship night, but inviting people from the church to come. Um, and then also we have a great student leadership team that is super excited about um, getting involved with third through fifth graders in our church and going down that direction. And uh, we're thinking about doing, starting a, a monthly kind of um, youth group kind of night for them on a Wednesday night where we, our students are leading the devotionals and the crafts and the, and the games and stuff, but interacting with them. And I'm just getting our student, our high schoolers a chance to lead and to do ministry uh, didn't do it well, but also giving these young kids in our church a chance to um, develop those relationships with older older kids and adults in the ch- in the church. So uh, we have some ideas percolating. It's it's not there yet, but that is definitely a goal uh, of ours for this coming year. Well, uh, I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but uh, remember in the old days where we we would uh, have at youth rallies, people would like. It, 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 Students were encouraged to bring their quote worldly music and you know throw it in the bonfire. Uh, I'd like to do the same thing about with smartphones. Uh, uh, I think Mike Mike Terry yeah, Mike's Mike Terry's giving me all right. Um, but so I say that somewhat, somewhat tongue in cheek. But to tie it into something uh, that uh, uh, kind of more meaningful is um, is something I've started with my small group this year. And again, I'm just a volunteer leader cause I'm, I'm here full time. So I only get, you know, so much influence on what happens, um, in a meeting, but at least in my small group, I can control this, but, um, I really don't want a small group to go by where the students don't open up a paper Bible. Um, and so I, I make sure, you know, there's a, st- <laughs> most of them don't bring their own, but there's a stack of Bibles in the room. So I make sure I hand those out um, and so many of them, you know, if you mention a book of the Bible, they just don't know where to turn to find it. And part of that is they, they maybe haven't been taught and it's not something familiar with them and others it's because they've only ever, you know, searched for that on their phone or in their Bible app. And so the, they have no idea when, if, when the paper Bible's in front of them, how to turn to, you know, to, so anyways, um, that's something I'm going to continue to be intentional about throughout the school year and beyond is making sure that a small group doesn't go by where students aren't opening up a physical Bible. Yeah. Oh, that's good, Chris. I love this. All this is so good. I'll just throw one last one in. And this is actually a little bit of a plug. Carrie uh, talked about reading groups. We actually have here at CPYU, if you're on Facebook, a Facebook group called uh, CPYU Together in the Word. And it's, re- it's really good accountability for me. There's a couple hundred people in there. I don't know how many of those are actually tracking every day with what we do there, but uh, we've, we've read some different devotional books over the years. We're finishing up in December. Uh, we've been, tw- in 2023, been uh, reading Tim Keller's little devotional on Proverbs, uh, daily devotional called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, 
And we've announced that our book for 2024 is Alistair Begg's uh, Volume 2 of Truth for Life. We actually went through Volume 1 a couple of years ago. So, so good. And that's why we're going to go back to uh, Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. I mean, you can uh, just the discipline of your daily reading and study of Scripture, and this is just one avenue that we're taking uh, to do that. And we, we would invite youth workers to join that as well. So if you're on Facebook, look for CPYU Together in the Word and ask to join that private group. Well, this has been a great conversation, everybody. Uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. I learn from you all the time. Um, I, I love seeing your enthusiasm for ministry, your commitment to Christ, your commitment to kids, and I know uh, we'll, we'll continue to pray that the good work that you're doing would not just yield fruit for the kingdom where God has planted you in your local churches, but even more broadly and widely as you encourage other youth workers and parents. So uh, blessings on you. I hope everybody has a great Christmas, those listening, those who are here with us. And we're grateful that t- for the time that you've spent with us on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. And we will talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.